Do you remember the 1989 film Field of Dreams? Of course you do. It's the one where Kevin Costner plays an Iowa corn farmer who hears a voice telling him, if you build it, they will come. Everyone's seen that movie, right? If you build it, they will come. So, in the movie, the voice was suggesting that if Kevin Costner cleared his cornfield and turned it into a baseball diamond, a bunch of once-great, long-dead ball players would arrive night after night to play nine innings of first-class baseball. In time, the voice seemed to promise crowds would arrive to watch the games, and the family's shaky financial situation would be all but secured. And of course, that's exactly what happened, and it's a wonderful, feel-good movie because of that, but I'm sorry... I hope we can all agree that it's a ludicrous plot. And yes, I know it's the magic of the plot that makes it such a fun film, and it does certainly make for high stakes and big drama. But if you saw that story on the nightly news, you'd laugh at the guy and talk about how crazy he was for digging up half his cornfield. So why does this seem to be the mantra for so many business owners who decide to open their own restaurant? If I build it, they will come. Today, I want to talk about that. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who can see when shown, and those who will never see. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for everyone in the middle. Hey everyone, I want to thank you again for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to chefs, restaurant owners, and marketing professionals working in the hospitality industry. Each episode, I choose a different topic. We explore that topic, we pick it apart, hopefully come across some useful insights, and then we finish up with an assignment. I leave you with a short, actionable task, just something you can do right away to start implementing some of the concepts we talk about here on the show because I believe information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. If you like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. And if you feel so inclined, I invite you to please leave a review. The more five-star ratings we get, the more it helps boost our rankings, which just means we can reach more people and eventually uh, we can start to broaden the discussion. On today's episode, I want to explore the reasons why someone might decide to open up their own restaurant. To be totally transparent, I think a lot of people go into business for the wrong reasons, a belief that I'm going to back up with data. Did you know the average startup cost in the United States to open a restaurant is over $300,000? And of course, that's just the average. In bigger markets like New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, uh, that number can be exponentially larger. Uh, last year, the U.S. restaurant count in, uh, in 2018 was uh, 660,000 units. That's up from 647,000 units. But two key metrics to pay attention to, the industry saw a 3% drop in small privately owned restaurants. And the industry also is feeling a stall at the top with restaurant chains finally starting to level off. So brands like Applebee's, Chili's, Subway, Chipotle, and Papa John's, they all shuttered dozens of locations across the country. Couple that with the fact that home meal kit services like Blue Apron and HelloFresh are also starting to cut into 
markets in, in a real way, really starting to affect restaurants. So the question is, with numbers as daunting as these, why open a restaurant in the first place? So I've been thinking about this for a long time now, years actually, and I'll, and I'll say that obviously every, inf- uh, every situation is different. And yes, there are exceptions to every rule, but I think people find themselves in one of the following six scenarios. Number one, they're approached by someone who wants to give them their big break. Number two, they see the perfect spot open up and see it as their chance. Number three, they decide they want to be their own boss. Number four, they decide they have something to say artistically. Number five, they have a bold new idea for a restaurant concept. Number six, they see an opportunity in the marketplace. Now, I rank them in that order. The first being perhaps the worst scenario, the worst reason to open up your own place. And the last one, number six, being the best and perhaps only valid reason to open up your own restaurant. Not that there aren't success stories to be found in each of those scenarios. Of course there are. But I believe that in order to succeed, you need to have a healthy dose of scenario number six. And let me say at the outset also, we often see a combination of these scenarios, right? Each story winds up being a a cocktail of reasons. But again, you need a heavy hand when pouring number six into the mix. So stick with me here. Restaurants, as many of you surely know by now, operate with razor-thin profit margins. According to Toast, last year, profit margins were anywhere between about 0 and 15%, most falling between 3 to 5%. In 2018, the industry average for full-service restaurants was about 6% profit. For QSR, it was 6.5%. And for privately-owned pizza places, it was about 7%. As for fine dining, where there's much more labor involved, it can be much, much lower, closer to 3 or 4%. So, a great restaurant, one that's really clicking on all cylinders, right? It's very popular uh, and, and really maintaining their uh, their margins, might only make 8 or 10% net profit, and that number is only getting smaller as the minimum wage keeps going up. So in order to maintain that 8 or 10% profit, often the owner-operator, like a chef or a managing partner, is forced to take a very modest salary. That is, if they're able to take anything at all. And remember, for the first several years, uh, that 8 to 10% profit is usually just going to pay back the initial investment. I'm not kidding when I say restaurants are just too hard to make work. They're too hard to mess around with. I've been in this business for nearly 20 years, 16 of those here in New York City, and I can speak from experience. If you're going to do it, you better know what you're in for, and you better know what you're doing. So let's unpack each of the six scenarios I just mentioned, because I believe they are the most common reasons that people decide to open up their own restaurant. As we get to each one, I want you to think of examples from your own life. Hey, maybe you find yourself in one of these categories, which, by the way, is likely. Follow along, and when we get to the end, I'll put it all together into something of a diagnostic tool you can use when considering new opportunities. And yes, this has everything to do with marketing. Let me show you what I mean. So number one, you're approached by someone who wants to give you your big break. As they say, flattery will get you everywhere. But please be wary of someone who approaches you saying they want to open a restaurant with you, especially, especially if this is going to be their first restaurant. Most outsiders don't understand the ins and outs of the restaurant industry, and I believe it's our job as restaurant professionals to give them a realistic, even brutal view of how things work. So I've never been a restaurant owner myself, but I've been involved with multiple openings and have been approached on three different occasions to open my own place. And in each of those three instances, I was taken out for drinks or dinner and we had 
big lofty talks, but each time I spent the majority of my time trying to talk the other person out of it. I tried to paint a, a realistic picture of how a restaurant operates. I talked to them about labor costs and the realities of preserving that very tight profit margin. I would talk about inventory and staff turnover. I'd talk about the long hours and the waste, um, permits and breakage and health inspections and lawsuits. I do all of that because if at the end of my monologue they're still excited, then okay, I know we can have a second conversation. But of the three conversations, that only happened once. In the other two instances, the person quickly soured on the idea and completely backed off. So my diatribe on the difficulties of running a successful restaurant saved us all a lot of grief. But hey, for that split second, I get it. You see all the opportunities ahead of you. You feel like you've been chosen, like like some hotshot Hollywood agent just picked you out of obscurity and wants to make you a superstar. They think you're the real thing, and they're telling you they want to throw money at you so you can build your dream restaurant. And maybe that ends up being the case. Great. Good for you. But guard yourself in those early meetings and paint a realistic picture for them. That's going to ensure that they stay invested both financially and emotionally when things get rough. That's going to build trust between the two of you. That's the foundation to the whole relationship. They have to know how expensive it is, how risky it is, how stressful the process is, and how crazy things can get. They have to understand that there's a very good chance they'll lose everything. Really, the two of you need to come up with a plan that eventually will look a lot more like the plan in scenario number six. So if you find yourself in this scenario, you need to get real and find a way in those second and third conversations to jump all the way down to number six. Stick with me and you'll see what I mean. Number two, you see the perfect spot open up and see it as your big chance. But consider, if the previous place failed, what makes you so sure that you'll succeed? I saw this happen with uh, one of my clients a few years back. They, they watched as a restaurant started to fail and they sat on the space. They watched as the food quality deteriorated, the staff was cut way back. Basically, it was a bleak restaurant. My clients were convinced that the location was perfect. It was just that the previous tenants had come up with a doomed concept. So eventually, the restaurant did close their doors and these new owners, my clients, took over the lease. They poured a ton of money into the project. The place looked incredible. The concept was interesting and they were so sure of their eventual success. But six months in and they realized it wasn't going well. They were limping along to their first anniversary, surviving by running lean with a skeleton crew. But then the restaurant was just a shadow of what it was supposed to be. Service was terrible. Food quality was suffering. And eventually they had to acknowledge that they were in the same basic position as the previous tenants. And that's when they realized they hadn't looked at the whole picture. They realized that they had only been looking at the last six or eight months of the previous restaurant concept when they were probably doing the exact same thing that they themselves were doing now. Degraded quality, skeleton crew, and so on. It was hubris that clouded their vision, a false sense of confidence. So answer these questions thoroughly or as thoroughly as you can and only then should you proceed. Why did the previous restaurant fail? Or rather, what are all the potential reasons they failed? How can I safeguard myself against failure? This is part of your market research. You need to look at the neighborhood and assess the viability of a restaurant. You need to look at what other businesses are in the area. Perhaps there are no other restaurants and you could see this as an opportunity. Or it could be that the community won't be able to support 
a restaurant. Either the average income is too low, that's not where people spend their discretionary income, or perhaps they just don't have the right place and that's where you come in. You, you should be exhaustive in your research. You won't be able to gather every little piece of information you need, but you should gather as much as you can to make a more informed decision. Perhaps you'll discover that your initial gut reaction was right. Great, you get to move forward with confidence. You can present data to your potential investors that back up your claims. So number three, you decide you want to be your own boss, which is a perfectly valid reason to want to start your own business, except for the fact that most people are terrible at being their own boss. Think long and hard about your strengths and weaknesses. How are your organizational skills, your management style, your creativity, your drive, your short-term and long-term vision? What about your perseverance, your stamina? Opening a restaurant is a marathon, not a sprint until it's time to open and then yeah it becomes a sprint so it's kind of like running 22 miles of a marathon and then realizing that there's a rabid dog chasing you so you have to run that last 4.2 miles at an all-out sprint so you have to understand your strengths and weaknesses so you can surround yourself with the right people individuals who will push you when you need to be pushed and who will listen to you when you need them to listen it takes a great deal of self-awareness to be able to do that and more often than not people fail when they try or rather, they fail because they haven't done the hard work to identify what their strengths and weaknesses are. So if you find yourself getting fed up with your bosses, be sure to consider why. If they're lazy and you're tired of pulling their weight, then okay, that might signal that it's time for you to step up and be the boss. But is it because you can't get along with people? And here's something else to consider. As an employee, you're only beholden to the boss above you. But as an owner, you have a responsibility to your other partners and investors. You have a responsibility to your staff to make sure they're treated well and paid appropriately and happy in their job. But then finally, you have a serious responsibility to your customers. Every negative Yelp review is going to sting. Every time a dish gets sent back, every time a table walks out unhappy, being the boss certainly has its benefits, but make sure you're ready for the burden of responsibility. It's easy to complain when you're just one of the guys. Not so easy when you're the guy. Number four, you have something to say artistically. And this can be a great reason to open your own place, but it's a dangerous one as well because sometimes ego can edge out reason. Let me explain with a story. In 1994, Thomas Keller opened up his gem of a restaurant, The French Laundry, out in Yountville, California, right in the heart of Napa. It's a restaurant widely regarded to be one of the best restaurants in America, and yet for three years, barely anyone cared about the place. It's hard to imagine, but it's true. It, it actually wasn't until 1997 when Ruth Reichel named it as the best restaurant in America in Gourmet Magazine, and that's when people started to pay attention. And what was Keller doing out there in Yountville? He was presenting 10 course tasting menus for a small number of guests each night. There were no choices, only the chef's menu, his way or no way. And ever since then, chefs all over the world will say this is what they want. They want the opportunity to create their kind of food with no arguments. Except Keller didn't create his restaurant out of ego. He created something entirely new. It was the novelty of the experience that was really the star. No one had ever really done what he was doing before. A menu with no choices? It was revolutionary. But in the years since, it seems like so many chefs and restaurateurs latch on to the fact that Keller was out there getting to cook his food his way. Rather than looking at the French Laundry as a marketing lesson, they view it as an example of a chef getting to build his dream restaurant. 
But then look at it for a second through a marketing lens. Thomas Keller knew that there were plenty of people who wouldn't want the experience he was crafting. Great. Like we talked about in episode one, he was identifying who his product was for by first identifying who his product was not for. See, he was willing to forego all of those potential patrons to create an entirely new kind of dining experience that would cater to one specific kind of diner. And obviously his gamble paid off, but realize it was a calculated gamble, not the efforts of an egomaniac, but a gamble on the part of a skilled businessman, a skilled marketer. So it's fine if you have something to say artistically, but make sure you back it up with marketing know-how. If you want to present bold new food that no one's ever seen before, make sure you know how to identify an audience for it, make sure you know how to reach them, and make sure you're thinking of ways to convince them to come dine with you. And of course, that leads us to number five. You have a great idea for a restaurant concept. Because great food is one thing, right? Inventive menus and, and revolutionary cooking are great, but we have to package it up into an experience we can sell. Do not ignore this part of it. Thomas Keller was doing some new things, but much of his menu was grounded in classic French technique. It was sound cooking, well executed certainly, but what was so revolutionary was the idea of how it was presented. Diners knew what they were getting into right from the start. They had to let go of the reins and trust that they were in good hands. Getting his guests to relinquish control was Keller's way of making sure his guests were taken care of, and that was his way of serving them. Nothing to think about, nothing to worry about, nothing to fuss about. We're handling everything. Just sit back and relax. That's what the construct was meant to communicate. And let me stop here and say, you don't have to reinvent dining. Thomas Keller may have done so, but you don't. That's not what I'm saying. But you do have to articulate what's different about this place. What sets you apart from other restaurants? Burger King and McDonald's are similar, but Burger King serves up flame-grilled fast food burgers. The fire is what sets them apart. Every successful restaurant has this, and that's not to say they all know it from the outset. Of course they don't. Plenty of restaurants get lucky. They stumble upon success inadvertently. But do you want to be someone who rolls the dice, or do you want to be someone who stacks the deck in your favor? I think we'd all agree that if we could stack the deck, that we would. That's what this does. It all goes back to the lesson in number one. Think of your restaurant as a product and put on your marketing hat. What's the product, who's it for, and how can you reach them? Finding a concept forces you to articulate exactly what it is you're doing. It forces you to identify exactly where you stand in the marketplace. It also forces you to identify competitors and highlight ways that you differentiate yourself from them, which finally, finally brings us to the best reason I know for you to open your own place. And that is number six, you see an opportunity in the marketplace. It's been said before that marketing is all about seeing a need and then filling that need. And in many ways, that's true. As I said at the beginning of all this, I believe this is the best reason to open your own restaurant. When you see an opportunity, you see a need for something and you create a business, build a product that solves that problem. So of course, this still requires many of the checks and balances we discussed in the previous scenarios. You have to have your gut check with your partners and, and your investors. You've got to do your market research to make sure you really have found a great location. You have to be honest with yourself about your ability to lead. You have to be honest about your skills as a manager and proprietor. You have to know that what you have to say artistically is also something that there's an audience for, and you have to be able to properly articulate what this is, what sets this apart from the competition. There is a need for this, 
and I'm going to build a restaurant that serves this, which brings us to an important idea worth discussing, and that is, what does it mean to serve? We're in the service industry after all, right? So it's what we do, but it's something to really consider. I want you to go into business to be selfless. Of course, you're going to make money, and that's great, but your business should be to serve an audience, to fill a need. You can provide something that your audience can't get anywhere else. So the example I'll give is with the business I started. My business is Chip Close Creative. In 2015, 2016, social media was really starting to take off, and I saw a need in the marketplace. There were all these small, privately owned restaurants in the city that were they were already stretched thin. The owners didn't have the time or resources to manage their own social media feed, and there I was offering up a way to solve their dilemma. I was a writer, a photographer, a filmmaker, and a budding social media manager with a background in marketing. I knew I could pitch this as a win-win for everyone. They knew they needed help but didn't know how to do it themselves. We both got something valuable out of the transaction, and that's how my business was born. That's how it grew steadily over the course of just a couple years. You just have to look for an audience to serve. The same is true with any product, any business, including restaurants. See a need and fill that need. If you're solving an existing problem, you'll hardly have to point it out to your audience. People will see what you're doing and come running to you. So I guess I want you to listen for a voice, but instead of it saying, if you build it, they will come, it should say, if you serve them, they will come. And that's why all of this goes back to the first episode when we came up with a definition for marketing. Remember, marketing is just three questions. What's the product? Who's it for? And how can you reach them? What problem are you solving for your audience? You shouldn't have to convince your people to dine with you. If you've built everything properly, it should be obvious that you're providing something that they've been desperate for. It should be obvious that you are specifically catering to them. There are a variety of ways to accomplish that, and we'll get to that in time. But for now, in these early episodes, I want you to just think about marketing differently. I want you to get in the habit of thinking in these ways. So. For this week's assignment, if you, uh, if you already own your place, I want you to identify which of these six scenarios you think you fit into, or probably more appropriately, what combination of these pertain to you. Because uh, for my business, it was number six primarily, but also a little bit of number five and a little bit of number three. I saw an opportunity in the marketplace, but I also knew that I could be a great boss and that my idea for this new business uh, could be cool. So I went for it. So take out a single sheet of paper, Number one, I want you to identify which scenario or scenarios best describe you and your situation. Why did you decide to open up your own place? Number two, I want you to describe what has gone well and what has gone wrong. Number three, what do you know now that you didn't know back then? And number four, what piece of advice would you give to someone who found themselves in the same kind of situation you did? And then for all the people listening who don't own a place yet, yet is the key because if you want it, you can make it happen. If you don't own a place yet, I want you to think of a place you know. Maybe it's somewhere you work or maybe it's a place you've recently been to. Maybe it's a place you love or maybe it's a place you hate. But I want you to answer the same questions with that place in mind, right? Number one, which scenario or scenarios best describe the owner's situation? Number two, what has gone well and what has gone wrong? Number three, what do you think they know now that they didn't know at the beginning? And number four, if the owner came up and asked you for some objective outside advice, what would you say to them? 
finally, we have this week's continuing education. Um, this is where I usually share a, a book, a video, a blog post, just something to, to kind of keep you thinking. Uh, sometimes it ties into the subject. Sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it very, very much does. Uh, I'm going to urge all of you to check out the documentary Spinning Plates. If you haven't seen it, it is worth the 90 minutes it takes to watch it. It weaves together three different restaurant stories in a way that is beyond words. Grant Ackett's and his restaurant Alinea out in Chicago is the, the centerpiece to the film, but the other two stories are just as compelling. I promise it's a movie that gets me every single time I watch it and even sometimes when I just talk about it. Uh, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you'll have a few different ways to find it. I promise you again, it's worth the 90 minutes to, uh, it takes to watch it. You'll thank me. Uh, as always, I appreciate you being here. I, I know your time is limited, and so I hope these episodes are able to help. If you feel so inclined, go ahead and log a, a review, uh, subscribe. Um, again, the, the ratings just help us reach more people. If you want to get in touch, please go ahead and do so. You can email me at chip at chipclose.com. And that's it for this episode. I want to thank you again for listening to Restaurant Strategy. My name is Chip Close. I'll see you next week.